You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. My ability to focus is even lower than normal, not just because I'm a champion bet winner at this point, but also oh. because now I keep seeing all these videos on social media of the Raiders at training camp, and it has me all in my feels for training camp, which we're going to get to. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. And yes, in a few minutes, we will get to the uh, bet payoff. We had a bet on the WNBA last night. Uh, I will, I will, the, part of this is an avatar change. It's going to need a little description because I had to get a friend to help me do some Photoshop. So oh, in a few no. minutes, in a few minutes, we will review that, uh, reveal that to the world. But Sarah, we start today with me all in my emotions because training camp is here and there's all these great videos of Derek Carr throwing to Devontae Adams, which has me thinking <laughs> about the top training camp storylines. And I think we can all agree that the Raiders would usually be on that list, but maybe not for everybody. So I figured instead, if you're good with it, let's just run through the top five non-Raider training camp storylines as we get ready for the season. You ready for this? I'm ready. All right. I think the number five training camp storyline here might be the hot seat around Mike McCarthy, which only gets hotter every time Jerry Jones speaks, and I can't tell (laughs) if he doesn't care about that or if he just doesn't realize it, but every time he says anything, it just feels like it gets hot, 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 hotter for Mike. I can't think of a single person that enjoyed the offseason more than Mike McCarthy when it comes to erasing what went down last season. And that includes teams that had a terrible, awful entirety of their season because the way that Cowboys final game went down had him all but fired. He has made it. He is back. But now... Man, does he have something to prove. And you're right, the hot seat gets hotter, not just when we remember and think back to the way things ended for the Cowboys last season, but with every single thing that Jerry Jones says. And he's got right there, right next to him, some real good options for someone to replace him without even having to go out of house, particularly in someone like defensive coordinator Dan Quinn. So, um Or Sean Payton, for that matter, who's now floating around reminding everybody that he didn't want to quit coaching. He just didn't want to work for the Saints. Uh, So this is going to be something to watch for sure. I think every time uh, Jerry Jones speaks, he reminds us that he thinks it's a Super Bowl caliber roster. And if the owner of the team thinks that, then he's going to blame the coaching if it doesn't go well. So uh, let's see how that goes. I, I, I wonder if they have a slow part of the season, if he'll even make it through. I, I don't know. Let's go to the next storyline. Number four. And I don't know that this would have been as much of a storyline were it not for Tyreek Hill, but it feels like Tua and everything happening around him will be overanalyzed at a level I could not have even have imagined when you've got Tyreek Hill every time he can, reminding you that Tua is supposed to be better than everybody else in the NFL. It's only going to make the magnifying glass even hotter on Tua Tagovailoa. Well... I mean, if he hadn't started out by saying the quiet part out loud on his unnecessary podcast, and I'm sure the Dolphins are already (laughs) wishing that they could shut down, if he hadn't said on his podcast, listen, this is is it. If he doesn't perform and show up this year, this is how much time you get as a youngster before they give up on you. He made the pressure there. Then he made things worse by saying, you know, Zach Wilson's great, but I'd rather play with the most accurate QB in the NFL. And he's not talking about his former QB and Patrick Mahomes or anyone else. He's talking about Tua. He is raising the stakes every time he talks. And 
I don't think anyone in Miami needs Tyreek to be the most accurate or the best. They just need him to be a good starting NFL quarterback, and Tyreek is certainly ratcheting up the expectations. Especially when you go into the season realistically understanding that you're likely at best the second best team in your division. I don't know what good it does to put this much extra pressure on a quarterback that's trying to develop, especially with a new head coach. Right now, if Tyreek were quiet, the Dolphins would be one of those wonder stories everybody loves because of Mike McDaniel. Let's go mm-hmm. to the next story on the list. Number three. Third hottest training camp storyline right now. What will happen to Jimmy Garoppolo? I cannot imagine any situation, Sarah, where the 49ers cut him because that means he could go to Seattle. So now they're going to have to find somebody to trade for him or they're going to have to keep him on this roster. And I think this is a wild game of chicken. Well, you said this was the third hottest. Uh, some would argue it's the hottest. Uh, but, you know, that's it's a matter of taste. It's really subjective. Uh, do you like a strong chin, good head of hair? You prefer blondes or brunettes? Either way, the point is that this is a very complicated situation for the Niners. And you and I have spent some time talking to a variety of folks about just how confident they are in the Niners' decision to place a Super Bowl-ready team in the hands of a guy who didn't play a lot in college and barely saw the field last year in his first season as a pro. If they want to go all in on Trey Lance, I guess that's okay, but you got $24.2 million dumped into Jimmy G and you don't seem to have a good trade partner. The injury and the surgery definitely threw a wrench in their plans. They unnecessarily decided to announce to us that time was up for Jimmy G, making their leverage in a trade deal even less. So now it's a matter of the awful situation of looking around for somebody to lose their quarterback to injury. And to be able to have the ability and flexibility cap-wise to take on that salary. Oh, that is a dirty thought when you put it that way. And you are absolutely right. Just when I thought you couldn't botch the quarterback thing more than the Packers did with Jordan Love. Wasting a first-round pick we don't talk about. I wonder how this will look when it's all said and done for the 49ers. Uh, It's only the third hottest because these stories are ahead of us. What's next on the list? That's the number two. That's two. There yeah, we go. That's, yeah. the, the number two story on this, and it could be the number one also, is Lamar and the contract situation around the former MVP that comes into a team that I think is going to have a huge bounce back here, is an absolute Super Bowl contender if they can stay healthy. And you look around if you're Lamar saying, man, if I'm going to bet on myself – Boy, I'm going to bet aggressively, but every single up and down this year will raise some sort of question about what it means for his money moving forward. That is inevitable, and they have gotten themselves into this position by letting it take this long. I agree. I mean, this is an interesting dude who has defied the skeptics both when he was entering the league and some wanted to change his position – when people have tried to force him or suggested that he needed to have an agent to handle his contract dealings, he just keeps coming back and disproving people. And while I do agree with you, all eyes will be on his performance and what that could say for his contract. I think he's already done enough that it would be tough for me to see the number go down. If anything, it will go up the more quarterbacks sign in the meantime. And even if he gets hurt, we've now seen the example of Dak Prescott as a guy who still got his money regardless. And situation's different, team is different, owner's different, et cetera. But I think barring any major injury uh, that sets him apart and, and puts him in that Dak conversation, he is just earning himself money with every day that he goes out and plays well. Um, and so we're going to be watching to see when the game of chicken finally ends and if the Ravens decide they don't want to play this game anymore and they want to make sure that they've got him short up. 
I mean, if Lamar, Justin Herbert, or Joe Burrow go on the Super Bowl run this year, mm. we're going to see a $50 million contract, mm-hmm. which brings us, speaking of contracts, to the mm-hmm. top training camp story right now. Number one. That is waiting on Watson. And we all know that this is far bigger than football. Uh, the Browns are going to have to figure out what to do at the quarterback position when it comes to how to prep for the fact that they may not have Deshaun Watson for a portion of the season. Everybody's going to be waiting. I think every Friday until we get an announcement, I'm going to presume, Sarah, there'll be a news dump at 5.30 in the afternoon. Like Everybody's waiting to hear what they decide for the Deshaun Watson suspension. Yeah, Kevin Stefanski spoke about how uh, they have a plan, and they're going to adjust the plan once they get some news. But right now, they're going to rotate guys like they always do. They're going to rotate Deshaun and Jacoby Brissett. They're going to get you know reps amongst the four guys in ways that they feel are best for the team right now. They He wouldn't tell us exact percentage, uh, but did say that they've got a plan. As for Deshaun Watson, Jenny Vrentes continued her excellent reporting. She did the New York Times Daily podcast today and really told the story from beginning to now um, and and suggested uh, that the reaction to Deshaun's punishment, whatever it is, will never fully be satisfying. And I want to remind people how weird it is to put a number on the punishment for something that has this many alleged victims and is this uh, off-putting. And we are going to get a number at some point. The question is just how disappointing or unsatisfying will it be? Wait and see. That is the craziest part of all of it. And through the process, whatever the information is we get, we need to remember the entirety of the story as we tell the story of the punishment. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Get a business insurance quote online in as little as six minutes. Visit ProgressiveCommercial.com. All right. I've held off long enough. Sarah lost a bet. Her avatar is about to change. Mm-hmm. I'll explain what it's going to be. Plus, huge news from the WNBA. We'll get you next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I was always a believer in the Vegas Aces when it came to the WNBA Commissioner's Cup. Last night, my beloved city and my favorite WNBA team came through for me in a big, mm. big way. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And so for anyone that's new to the show, Sarah obviously is a Chicago Sky fan. I'm a Vegas Aces fan. They played last night in the Commissioner's Cup in a game that, frankly, early on looked like it was going to get out of control. But I was smart. I've lived through this already this season. I did not talk my talk. I just sat there and continually watched puckered up the entire time as the game got close in the second half. But the Aces did get the win 93-83 to over Chicago. And as a result of that, there are two things that are happening from our bet. One is a TikTok dance, and I'll let Sarah handle that uh, to y'all life. Uh, that, that's no, that's one long. part of it. But it's the long other and part complicated, it, and there's some hip-popping and some weird uh, uh, boop in your face to, to when he says Jesus that I find extremely strange. Well, that's, I can't speak one way or the other. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a arm behind the head, boop, right when he says Jesus. I don't know. Anyway, well, carry I on. Mean, who doesn't arm behind the head and boop their Jesus? Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I decided I would need a little help to do the perfect avatar because the thing of it is Sarah has a very unique personality, and I like to capture mm. the uniqueness of the personality without mm-hmm. being mean-spirited in anything I do. So mm. I got some help from uh, some Photoshop wizards and created mm. a fabulous picture that I am currently mm. right now tweeting to the world to go out there uh, tagging Sarah in it so that her reaction she has not seen this picture it will give her the reaction to see it live I'm while scared. we're together on air 
Uh, but for the record, for anyone that doesn't follow us on Twitter, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, it is a picture of Sarah that has been photoshopped, and her joyful smile, as I say in the tweet, says, I love the St. Louis Cardinals because she's wearing St. Louis Cardinals no! cats because she's got a pin on that <gasps> no! says crazy cat lady Ew! and hot dogs smothered in ketchup because she's holding a hot dog smothered in ketchup. See, I went anti-Chicago on everything, and because I know you love dogs, I went cats. That, it it, it was what? spectacular work. First of all, it could be meaner, so thank you. <laughs> I don't know where this photo's from, by the way. Secondly, it is the Spain and Fitz promo picture they took me out of, apparently, and weird. then uh, did some work. Yeah. There's a lot of weird things happening in it. Yeah. Um, I, first of all, could not hate the hat more, and it, know. it, it, it you know, verifies something I thought, which is that I can't pull off a bucket hat, even Photoshopped. <laughs> Um, I have no problem with cats, although it is at a cer- certain age of a woman's life being called a cat lady has mm-hmm. a, f- a far larger uh, s- s- things to say about who they are and the choices they've made in their life. So that's mm-hmm. uh, upsetting. Uh, that looks like a real hot dog made with meat. Uh, not mm-hmm. a fan. Uh, but I will say that when I did have hot dogs with meat, uh, I did put ketchup on them. I defied all Chicago expectations when it came to ketchup, and I'm fine with that as a condiment. Uh, but you did a fine job of not being too mean while simultaneously making me look like a complete moron. Yeah, well, it was important. See, I knew that you weren't totally out on ketchup, but I also felt from previous conversations, but I felt like just having to explain that to Chicago yeah. over and over yeah. again was worth it. The and Cardinals I knew that, that that's and a, the ketchup. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's you know it, it was it was well played. Uh, I had a lot of help with it. I can't say that I really mm. get the credit, but uh, but you know, all right. Went well, all the out. change is happening, and mark this down: six twenty p.m. Because tomorrow at six twenty p.m. I will be changing it. No more than a second beyond that. So that is uh, that is the update. Go check it out at Sarah Spain at Jason mm. Fitz at Spain and Fitz. It's out there for the world. Uh, Devin, get the ESPN Radio account to retweet that too. Come on, let's go. Let's get some oh, more traction for the on love this of thing. Pete, that's I'll retweet it right now. No, thank you, thank you, you know so much, what? producer that's extraordinaire Devin. Uh, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, we also have some serious WNBA news. We want to get everybody updated on as. Uh, we have tried to keep you updated with the latest information when it comes to the release of WNBA star Brittany Griner. Uh, we do know now, according to multiple reports, that the Biden administration has offered a deal to Russia aiming at bringing home the WNBA star and another jailed American, Paul Whelan, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, uh, said Wednesday. So we do know that. Uh, this has been confirmed. Uh, this is uh, absolutely out there for the world to know that the negotiation has been ongoing, sir. Yeah, I mean, this is huge news. And I want to say I've gotten some, I think, disingenuous tweets from people every time I repost stuff about Brittany Griner asking where my anger is for people on minor drug charges in the U.S. I would say that's whataboutism. We can both care about our legal system and the issues here and care about an American who is unlawfully detained in a foreign country. Uh, they've also asked me where my tweets are about someone like Paul Whelan, who's another American that is being unlawfully held in Russia. And I would say I am not, I am a sports reporter. And even in those cases, I just share TJ Quinn and other good reporting. I don't know enough about this to go off on a limb and speak about it without the help of the people who are doing the hard work and reporting. So uh, those people probably don't even deserve uh, that Uh, explanation. But I will say that Paul Whelan's family has talked about how Brittany Griner's situation has brought more attention to his detention as well. And it certainly sounds like the uh, American folks who are working to get Brittany back here are also trying to get Paul at the same time. So um, juxtaposing those two as if they're in opposition to each other or somehow 
um, slowing each other down is is uh, wrong and stupid and ignorant. And it certainly sounds like uh, everyone who's fighting for Britney is indirectly fighting for Paul as well. And like I said, TJ Quinn Fitz is the one who keeps nailing this. So I keep following the way he talks about this. And on this just in, he talked about the shift here. What Secretary Blinken said was they made this offer weeks ago, and there'd been a lot of speculation about what was happening in the Biden administration. There's been a debate between the Justice Department, the State Department, even in the White House. Do you trade for someone like Brittany Griner with the guy who everyone believes is being offered, Victor Boot? Uh, he's doing a 25-year sentence in the United States for supporting terrorism. There's been a debate over whether or not that would create incentive to kidnap more Americans. Would it just make the problem worse down the road? Uh, and a lot of people had speculated that the Biden administration was frozen by this debate. Well, what the Secretary of State said today was, no, we made that decision. What's surprising is that they announced it. It's a major aggressive shift after weeks of Russia saying, hey, back off, United States. Let us play out her trial treat it like it's a legitimate proceeding, and then maybe we can talk. This was strong pushback from the administration. Hmm. Part of what really hit me there was what his wording at the end, treat it like it's legitimate. You know, there, there are so many uh, parts of this that I wouldn't have known before starting to cover this case and, and read about this case and following TJ's writing about uh, the way the legal process works. And I think it's just part of the reminder for everybody is that while we hear bits and pieces, the way the system works there is far different than it works here. And in my mind, Sarah, for the U.S. to come out and be very public about it, uh, this is the Biden administration taking a very solid stand on it. Let's see what mm -hmm. happens next. But to your point earlier, the example or the, the uh, sort of the call here should not be to do less for anybody that's wrongfully detained. It should be to do more for everybody that's wrongfully detained. And if that can happen here and for everybody else in the process, that's the right angle in my mind. Agreed. And I think the folks who don't understand the nuances of this clearly aren't doing their homework. And I would argue, regardless of your feelings about Brittany Griner or anything she said or done or what she stands for, she is a human being. And to flippantly talk about such a serious incident and such a serious case without doing a modicum of research on it is really gross to me. And so at least understand why she pled guilty, why they think this case is a farce in terms of the legal aspects and why they feel like they need to make the decisions that they do in order to try to get her back. At the end of the day, no matter what her stances or policies have been, we shouldn't draw a line on saving Americans that are wrongfully detained based on what we think of their stances towards politics. Uh, I, I will die on that hill all day. Who is the N Who in the NFL is under the most pressure as we get close to the season? We'll break it down with an expert next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Oh, if you had just heard that conversation during the break, I'm getting to the bottom of this. Whoever that person is that I have to work with We'll go on no, the I list. I didn't say they work with. They didn't. They don't necessarily work with us. They just. They just know you. Or All know right. of you. There's already at least one employee who gave my phone number number to an unnamed NFL player who really? continues to invite me to Hawaii without telling me who he is, despite me reminding him I'm married over and over. So whichever person Look, gave out my phone number. If it's a free trip to Hawaii, number, I'll be his plus one. I don't <laughs> care what that entails. Let's be very clear. Whoever we just spoke of goes below that person on the list of people who have wronged me. Uh, we're talking about my terrible avatar in which I'm supporting the St. Louis Cardinals, eating a hot dog covered in ketchup, and being a cat lady. 
Thanks for nothing, Fitz. Thanks for nothing, <laughs> Sky. You win all the time except for when my avatar's on the line and I have to do a darn country music TikTok dance. Whew. Day. That's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. I have to stop losing the bets that have immediate payoffs because you still haven't paid off a darn thing. And I've already paid off I'm on my a roll. That's losses. what I'm here. I'm Brutal. on a roll because ever since I reformed myself and started paying off bets, you just have one one. That's what mm. that's all. Bill Barnwell, <laughs> ESPN NFL writer, joins us now at Bill Barnwell uh, is where you can follow him. Uh, we're going to move on from the avatar and whoever it is that made a terrible suggestion to Fitz that will remain off the air and move on to your article. NFL players, coaches, and execs who have the most at stake in 2022. And a couple of our top training camp stories intersect with yours here because you have Lamar Jackson as really under pressure. Where does that come from, that pressure for him? Well, I mean, you can start with the idea that there's this perception, I think wrongly, but I think certainly it exists, that he's not a a franchise quarterback, which I'm going to put aside because to me, I think when you win an MVP and you play quarterback, that's the end of that conversation unless you have a severe injury, which Lamar Jackson does not have. But the other part of it is the Lamar Jackson contract. I mean, every single NFL quarterback I can think of outside of Joe Flacco and Kirk Cousins as the two exceptions, First chance they got to sign a deal, they basically took it and signed a long-term extension. Lamar Jackson has not done that, and I think that's really fascinating. Does it mean that the Ravens have not made him a serious offer? Does it mean that Lamar Jackson wants to go year to year? Does it mean that he's basically making a bigger bet on himself than really any player otherwise that that position has outside of Cousins? I think it's such a fascinating story. And, of course, after last year and inconsistent season, there's so much writing for Lamar Jackson on the line this year. So, Bill, one of the people that you list uh, that I think locally gets a ton of pressure, but nationally we don't talk about the same way as Ryan Tannehill from the Titans. Uh, so where is the line for him on performance that is good enough to sort of quell some of this pressure? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he has to be the guy who comes through when they need to score. I mean, uh, the past couple of years it's been Derrick Henry, play action off Derrick Henry, and Ryan Tannehill hitting big shots, and that's worked for them. But we saw the second half of last year when Derrick Henry got hurt, they were not as effective throwing the football. And in the postseason, Ryan Tannehill throws three interceptions in that playoff loss. I think maybe fairly, maybe unfairly, he's the one who took the blame for them losing as the one seed in the AFC. So I think, you know, whether it's Derrick Henry not being the guy he was, whether it's losing A.J. Brown, I think more is going to fall on Ryan Tannehill's shoulders. And when it's basically a contract year for him, given the structure of his deal, I think he has to be kind of the focal point. He has to be the leader. He has to be the guy who is making big plays and not just relying on Derrick Henry being the focal point of that offense. Tua Tungavailoa and what he has going on this season were part of our top five stories heading into camp as well. How much is it real pressure, more so than it's just the Tyree Kill stuff that's fun to talk about, but I, I think is really just the cherry on top of the Sunday that already existed for Tua? I agree. I feel like the, the Tyreek thing doesn't bother me that much, but I mean, you guys have heard the rumors. I've heard the rumors. There's the Tom Brady thing, right? But the idea that Tom Brady is a free agent next year and the Dolphins have been scheming for mm-hmm. however long to make him their quarterback, and that's going to be their opportunity. I mean, Tua Tango Bailoa has his the decision on his fifth-year option coming up after this year, and to me, I think you throughout the first two years, the offensive line has been so bad that they've changed that offense just to keep him upright, but I mean, he has to produce. If he doesn't produce, they're not going to keep pick his fifth-year option up, and they're going to make a move next offseason, whether it's for Tom Brady or somebody else. I think this is really a you know, a prove-it-or-lose-it year for Tua Tango-Vailoa as the Dolphins' starting quarterback. 
So we're talking to Bill Barnwell. He's got a great article out on ESPN.com right now identifying uh, different players and execs that are under coat, under uh, pressure this year coming into the season. One question when I look at your list that I thought was a little surprising is you have Raiders coach Josh McDaniels on there, but you do not have Derek Carr. It would seem to me, in mm-hmm. my mind, that if things fall apart for the Raiders this year, Carr's the scapegoat, McDaniels is fine. Why did you see it uh, with pressure on Josh? That is a very astute point, Fitz. I kind of agree with you on that. I do think that Carr could be the first person overboard if it is a disappointing season. But I think with Derek Carr, you know, maybe fairly, maybe unfairly, uh, I think he's a good enough quarterback and proven himself as a good enough quarterback now over the past really six, seven years that if, if the Raiders struggle this year, I think you can make a case that we shouldn't be blaming Derek Carr. That if even if Carr's numbers go down, that it's not going to be him. We've seen him succeed with different quarterbacks, or sorry, with different coaches, with different receivers, with different offensive lines. Josh McDaniels has succeeded in exactly one situation, and that is with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick around him. And so, if the Raiders struggle this year, you know, I think the argument, for at least for me, would be. Derek Carr has proven it elsewhere. Josh McDaniels has not proven it elsewhere. And Derek Carr isn't the one who traded a first and second round pick to go out and get Devontae Adams or signed Chandler Jones in free agency. That was a Josh McDaniels, Dave Ziegler-led production. So I, I feel like that argument is going to be made, and I think it's valid. But I do think that there's a very convincing case, at least to me, that you should blame Josh McDaniels at the Raiders circle this year, not Derek Carr. Let's talk another couple coaches you've got pressure on. Brandon Staley is sort of a surprise to me, and Pete Carroll. I understand McCarthy. I, you know, I understand to your point that the Raiders are going to be under a microscope because of what McDaniel's hasn't done elsewhere. But um, and mm-hmm. and even Matt Rule. I mean, Matt Rule. I, he's ten and twenty three in his first two seasons, so that yeah. makes sense. But why Pete Carroll? Uh, especially, I think that one's the biggest surprise. All right. So Pete Carroll, I mean, just won a power struggle. He basically was the one who ended up trading Russell Wilson out of Seattle. And I think that organization had kind of decided it was time. I think that, that that relationship between quarterback and head coach had run its course, but very easily could have said, hey, Russell Wilson's 33 years old. He's going to be around for the next five or six years. Pete Carroll is 70. I know he looks like he's 50. He is <laughs> 70 years old. And that is a viable reason to move on from a coach and say, hey, we're going to move into the modern world and a modern offense, and we're going to let Pete Carroll go by the wayside because our defense, the thing that he's supposed to be really good at, actually is not very good these days. So I think we could see a scenario where Russell Wilson is a superstar in Denver. He plays great football. They make the postseason. And the Seahawks, who are starting, by the way, Geno Smith as their day one starter at camp, are a bad football team, and Pete Carroll is the one that gets blamed for it. So I, I think once you win a power struggle, you have to keep winning. You can't just win the power struggle and then go 4-13. and 13. You have to prove that, hey, we were right to make this trade. We're better positioned for the future without Russell Wilson as part of this organization. And then the other one, quickly, you said Brand, Brandon Staley. Yeah, I mean, we know the fourth down stuff. I'm leaving that aside. He's a defensive genius. Their defense was bad last year. They made a ton of moves this offseason. Khalil Mack, J.C. Jackson, all kinds of players to upgrade the defensive line. They have to prove that they can be a solid defense under Brandon Staley's scheme without Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey in the fold. Yeah, quickly then, to that end, what level of winning would the Chargers have to accomplish this year, given how much they've spent and how much talent they have for him to be viewed as a successful coach? I think postseason. I think postseason and like a credible postseason performance, I think, is the point where Brandon Staley looks like he's doing a really good job heading into year three. Bill, awesome stuff. Always appreciate you coming on. 
Thanks. Sorry about the avatar, Sarah. I mean, yeah, I don't really understand the bet, I have to admit. But Well, it was um, the commissioner's maybe cop. Maybe should have gone the Hawaii. Sky, maybe that yeah, would have been the solution. the sky lost to the aces, and uh, my, aces, uh, my aces' luck has not been good. The luck of Vegas continues to get me in these bets, and I always pay them up, unlike Fitz. And I still have to do a Walker Hayes TikTok dance. Uh, which oh, no. is sure to be no, terrifying. No. Oh, yes, this is a delight. Y- y'all yeah. wouldn't be feeling bad for me today. Uh-uh, no, of no. Of course not. You deserve things like this. You deserve <laughs> things like this. Uh, Bill, thanks for the insight. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> At Bill Barnwell is where you could follow him. Check out his story on .com. Coming up, Ben Roethlisberger made an assertion on the players in the NFL today. He was just one of them, but he's already got thoughts. One of his teammates didn't take too kindly to his comments. We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Another momentous commercial break as we're trying to figure out what's going on with Jimmy Butler's hair. Uh, I retweeted a photo. He has long dreads. And Fitz, uh, I kind of always assumed that when men had dreads, they spent a long time growing them out. Like, I know a lot of women get extensions, but I... I wasn't aware of men getting dread extensions. I, How about it's you? A, it's a new one for me. Like, I'm not, like, I can't think of anybody in my life that's ever gotten, like, men that have ever gotten, ex- I know men that have gotten, like, hair procedures done. Um, yeah. And even, and even hair procedures that are, like, modern. I've got a buddy that does, uh, like, not hair replacement, but it's almost like a, a sewn-in sort of, like, toupee yeah. thing. That, that, yeah. That, like, so I've seen that before, but I've never seen anybody get dread extensions. A male, a, a, a man. I'm get. wondering if this is a Two Americas thing, and I think I'll ask the Internet to help us with that. Mm, um, yeah, because I, uh, they certainly didn't have the time to grow those. So uh, I guess maybe it's a thing, or maybe it's just Jimmy trolling us. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, at Sarah Spain is where you can see that, and also, unfortunately, the avatar currently up because of my losing of a bet. Uh, Ben Roethlisberger, talking about current NFL players. You might remember Ben Roethlisberger from him being a current NFL player just a couple months ago. Well, now that he's not anymore, he has things to say. And this is what he said. I might be standing on a soapbox a little bit, but that's my biggest takeaway from when I started to the end. It turned from a team first to a me type attitude. It was hard. It's hard for these young guys too. social media. They're treated so well in college. Now this new NIL stuff, which is unbelievable. They're treated so special. They're coddled at a young age because college coaches need them to win too. I know coach Terry Hupner never coddled me. Never did coach Bill Cower. So let's, before we get into Cam Hayward's response to that, discuss the context of what he said. I don't wholly disagree, Fitz. Anytime a massive influx of money comes in and over his 18-year career, the NFL got even bigger and richer and, and college players got even bigger and richer. And now with NIL, they can be sort of paid over the table instead of just under the table. I don't disagree with that. But I think anytime someone seems to be bitter or derisive about benefits for the generation after them, it's a bad look. You could say it's probably harder now to balance the team needs with my own individual wants and investments and finances and attention. Um, But to say it in a way that's critical, I think, makes it sound like a guy who just wishes he was born later. Yeah, well, there's also sort of an element to me. This might be a Guinness Book of World Records fastest, you know, suddenly get off my lawn, old man, I used to play football take. You know, We're used to hearing this from guys that played 10, 15, 20 years ago. For somebody that to, to have played so recently, 
to have this take now doesn't make a lot of sense to me, especially although we all can agree that AB has been difficult to stomach at times. One of his complaints was that everything was treated differently, that he specifically, Ben, was treated differently at practices. And so I think back to those moments and think, I don't know, do, do we really believe that Ben Roethlisberger for the entirety of his career was held to the same standard that a practice squad offensive lineman wasn't? I, right. I, I doubt that. So I think Coddled is sort of in the eye of the beholder, and for him to be so closely tied to the game to have that take is really surprising to me. It's also coming from a guy who probably shouldn't talk about getting special attention or treatment, knowing what we know about his crimes, alleged crimes, and uh, the way that he managed to evade a lot of things because of his fame and his and his uh, money. And, and I'll leave it at that. So beyond that aspect of it, there's just the part about what he said about current players. And Cam Hayward doesn't seem to agree. Here's what he had to say from the Not Just Football podcast from Omaha Productions. Man, they rubbed me the wrong way. Ben is a Hall of Fame quarterback, and he has played 18 years in our league, all with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I was a little bit upset about it because I was always raised to protect the locker room, protect the guys. And the way it seems is, and this is my point of view. This is what I see. It looks as though we're looked at as selfish players, and I think that's not the point. I think we have a lot of young players that come from different backgrounds. I think we have guys that have experienced different things than what I or somebody else might experience, and that doesn't make them selfish or it doesn't make them more of a me-type attitude. Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 like yelling at the sun, right? It, it's the inevitability of things changing and being stuck in the way things used to be. And maybe you want to talk to your friends at home about it more plain spoken like that. But I think publicly you have to recognize that it just makes you look like someone who doesn't agree with NIL or players having more power or players, uh, you know, getting treated better and more fairly, especially at the collegiate level. I mean, also the point of how recently he played in that locker room is important. I think in context here, because Certainly, I've had my fair share of things to say about the music business, but I was very careful, not because I'm protecting anybody, but just because it, it seemed out of place, especially when I first got off of tour buses. Even when I was still in music, there's very little negative, I would say, about one tour when I went to another one. Like, there's no gain in that. And there's some moment of like, hey, that chapter's closed and I'm not really going to, like, that's up to everybody that's on that bus. I'm not saying that you have to turn around and, and protect bad people at all. But there is an element of you just walked out of that locker room and now to Cam Hayward's point, it feels like you're, you know, you're you're doing your business on that same locker room you were just on. I, I, right. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me, again, because of how quickly uh, this comes after when he was actually a part of that locker room and that culture. Like if that's if that's part of the culture that existed there, then he certainly had opportunity with his platform to change that culture, to speak out to that culture. Now, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. It's also interesting coming from a quarterback because they are inherently going to be me type players because they get all the attention, all the money, all the congratulations, all the praise, all the fame, all the sponsorships. And as a veteran quarterback with a ton of success, that's quadruply so for an average quarterback. So it's sort of like looking around and being annoyed that other people are getting some of the trappings of fame that you believe are for you and only you. Um, maybe he doesn't see it that way. Maybe it's not, you know, consciously that way, but it does sound like a guy who thinks only some people deserve to, 
to have uh, to be coddled than to be treated a certain way. Because Lord knows if you're a quarterback, you have been the entirety of your play uh, as long as you were playing well. And also, when you've only played in one locker room for your entire career, I think it's a little brazen to make a statement about what every locker room is like. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about the praise that, that you and I have given over the last couple of years to what we've figured out about Mike Tomlin, the coach, realizing that as some of the people that uh, have left that locker room have been problems in other locker rooms, you look at it and say, my God, how did Mike Tomlin manage these personalities, right? And so, you know, Ben may have been in a situation where he's looking around at Le'Veon Bell or, or AB or whoever it might be saying, my God, like there's a lot of meat first people. But that doesn't mean that that's true to every locker room also. So it's a, it's a universal application of a very specific experience that – I don't think it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I can easily see Ben Roethlisberger being a falls off the end of a cliff guy now that he's retired and getting himself in trouble a whole bunch with a lot of the things he has to say. I would prefer if he was more a disappears forever kind of guy. I don't think that's going to happen. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Two things quickly. One, we got an answer on on the locks. Uh, thanks to I am Leo Glaze. He said it is the two Americas. Yes, guys do sometimes get extensions, but normally not this long. And he said, especially if they want to start a lock journey and not have to live through the early stages, which can be rough, and him being in the spotlight could be even rougher. So he just skips over the grown it out stage and hops right in with some extensions. He just went a little longer than the average cat. Uh, also, did you see the Notre Dame video featuring the Golick family, a couple Notre Dame players, and a very excellent acting Marcus Freeman? Uh, Fitz, I, I saw you posted about this earlier today. Yeah, I mean, if Mike Golick Jr. doesn't get a commercial Emmy, I don't know if they even make those. But, like, there's whatever the it's award is. not a commercial, get, really, but yeah. Like, whatever, whatever award they give for commercials, Mike deserves just for the way he goes, uh, like the way he squeals as the bag is thrown at him. It is, <laughs> it is masterful acting by him. I want to rank the performances in this video. We're going to post it. Uh, I have a differing opinion from you as to who steals the show here. I think Gojo did a fine job. I think his squeal was excellent. But if I were to rank the performances in the video, I would have a different opinion. So we're going to get you all to give us your takes on that. At Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz, I will uh, retweet the Notre Dame video about playing at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. You can tell us who did the best. Coming up, how concerning is the latest news about Mike Trout's back condition? We'll talk to Jeff Pass about that and other things coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Got a lot of Major League Baseball action to get. Sarah, since you're obviously from your avatar, you're a huge Cardinals fan. Is this going to be you know all what? cards? No. Okay. Not doing it. that. <laughs> oh, I just had to get that out of my system. I feel better now. Uh, <laughs> let's talk to ESPN Major League Baseball insider Jeff Passan. Uh, Jeff, always appreciate your time. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you haven't seen Sarah's avatar, you really should. She's claiming mm. new fandom. Anyway, mm. uh, Mike Trout dealing with a rare back condition, pretty rare back condition. He says it's manageable. What's your level of concern for Mike Trout being able to be healthy? Uh, sorry, I'm looking at the avatar right. Are you freaking kidding I me, Spain? I know. I know. There's, uh, there's so much happening. You, you know what? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let, let's just get this clear. What's the worst part of this? There's a clear, clear, much worse than the rest. It's the cat- oh, I mean, it's, it's cat- the Cardinals <laughs> by far. Because no, I don't mind the ketchup. No. I don't mind the ketchup. I know it's not a Chicago thing to say, but I'm okay with the ketchup. It's the Cardinals, man. 
Hey, Fitz, Fitz, did you realize that you're hosting uh, your radio show with a five-year-old child? I don't like Christian on a hot dog. Oh, that's a... Look, this this is all my doing, and it's exactly what I wanted it to be. So you you guys can just spend the rest of the segment Mm. arguing about ketchup now for all Mm. I care. Mm -mm. Honestly, uh, like the crazy cat lady thing, fine. There are plenty of crazy cat ladies out there. I'm, I'm perfectly down with that. Um, I'm more offended by the bucket hat. Honestly, I know. Than the logo I just can't pull it off. Those are very in yeah, for like working. the young, the young not working, people. Not working. Yeah. Um, but the, the ketchup on the hot dog, Sarah, like that's a, <laughs> honestly, that's a fireable offense from adulthood. <laughs> Speaking of adulthood, let's get to Mike Trout. How much of his adulthood would be spent on the IR because he can't play baseball? I hope that it's not that much. And the fact that he came out this afternoon and said, whoa, 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 pump the brakes, uh, my career's not over, is uh, a promising thing. I, You know, I understand when athletes get injured that sometimes there's more optimism than is warranted, but uh, I, I think it's just too early at this point to try and understand how much pain Mike Trout can withstand when he's playing and how much he's going to be in if this is in fact something that's going to be lasting for a while here um because listen one thing that we don't know as fans is what athletes go through in order to compete a lot of times it is well well beyond what any of us would would ever even consider a reasonable threshold to try and perform and compete in a sport so uh, I am I am by no means sitting here and suggesting that Mike Trout's career is going to be uh, altered to a point where we don't recognize him anymore. Let's remember, this isn't something that just came up and all of a sudden it's going to. Uh, no, this is this is something that's more degenerative and that he's been dealing with for a little while now, and he's still having a Mike Trout type season. So. I, you know, I, maybe I'm being optimistic. Uh, I hope not, because the notion of a, a hindered or hampered Mike Trout is just devastating for the sport because of how brilliant he is. We're talking to Jeff Passan, ESPN Major League Baseball insider. Let's stay optimistic as we get towards the Major League Baseball trade deadline. Uh, it's uh, less than a week away. So from an optimistic standpoint, who's somebody you think realistically could get moved that will make a difference for the team they head to? I think Luis Castillo is probably that guy. You know, I I think a lot of people want the answer to be Juan Soto, and I'm sure we'll get to him eventually. But Luis Castillo looks like a pretty sure bet at this point to be moved. And uh, I, I think it may take a little bit because there are quite a few controllable starting pitchers on the trade market right now. He's not the only one out there. There's Frankie Montas and Tariq Skubal with Detroit and Pablo Lopez with the Marlins. The Astros are considering dealing one of their plethora of starting pitchers. Cleveland has uh, has had discussions about Zach Plesac and Aaron Savali. So there are names that are out there, but Castillo is the best of the bunch. And this is a guy who, when he is healthy uh, and, and when he is effective, is, you know, the stuff is – top 10 15 in all baseball and there's a reason that the the new york yankees are hot on his trail at this point because they feel like they need to upgrade their staff and castillo would be the perfect guy to do it it's spain and fitz we're talking to jeff passan espn mlb insider you can follow him at jeff passan on twitter 
a lot of people think it's down to just a couple team race. Is there any team that if they made a big enough move at the uh, uh, the trade deadline, you think could get into that top tier of contenders that isn't right now? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I think if San Diego gets Juan Soto, you can probably throw throw them in there. Uh, you know, they've been 10 to 12 over 500 for most of the season without Fernando Tatis Jr. If you add Tatis coming back from his broken wrist and Soto, all of a sudden you're talking about a team that can compete with the Dodgers and the, the Mets in Atlanta and, and be one of those top-tier National League teams. So I think if we're looking at, at a team that can make the leap, because the top tier is, is pretty set at this point. Um, I, I think clearly separated from the rest are, are the Dodgers, the Braves, the Mets, uh, the Astros, uh, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays. And, you know, San Diego is, is sort of like outside the house looking through the window and, <laughs> you know, team like, like Minnesota, Tampa Bay. Uh, Milwaukee, St. Louis, they're probably another step back of that. But uh, that that top level of team, it's really separated itself at this point. And they're all being different levels of aggressive right now. Right now, it feels like, Jeff, you're keeping the world updated on what you're hearing regarding Shohei. And uh, you don't seem to believe he's going to move next week. What's What's eventually going to happen for him? I wish I had a good answer to this question because there's so many different complicating factors involved here. It's it's similar to Soto in that it's not just a straight-up baseball trade, but there are a lot of different elements that you have to consider, especially ownership. And Artie Moreno, the Angels owner, has uh, always, with big deals, been the one to, to pull the trigger on them. He's the one who signed Anthony Rendon. He's the one who gave Mike Trout $426.5 million. Um, he's the one who brought Josh Hamilton in. So uh, the idea that you're going to take the, the guy who I, I think is pretty clearly the most talented baseball player in the world and maybe the most talented baseball player any of us have ever seen or will ever see and move him before he reaches free agency seems like a, an absolutely foolish thing to do. The problem is uh, if you don't start winning, he's going to have no incentive to resign there after his 2023 season when he becomes a free agent and uh if you lose him that way then we're looking at just the the absolute worst case scenario where they get a draft pick between the second and third round like that is not what you want to happen so at very least you should entertain the idea of moving Shohei Otani especially right now when a team could get two pennant races out of him but from all indications, the the Angels have no intention of doing that. And because of that, they're in a bit of a catch-22 right now. All right, I have two very quick questions for you following up on that. Do you have any idea, based on what you've heard about Shohei or talked to him about, whether he's like Mike Trout in the sense that he would be willing to stay there and not win, or if he's someone who would want to leave and go somewhere with a chance to win? Uh, he hasn't said anything specifically about that, and I don't think he ever will. Um, but I don't know. Like, I think Mike Trout, when he resigned, was hopeful that the Angels were going to turn things around quickly. Uh, you know, Shohei Otani, like, he's going to be a free agent a lot sooner than Mike Trout would have been, and the pathway toward that is not very clear. That's the follow-up. Why are they never good? 
why they they are they're willing to spend on great players. Are they just not able to flesh out a team around those great players? Yeah, I mean they're willing to spend on on great players, but they also are in the Los Angeles metropolitan area and have never had a payroll until the last two years above one hundred eighty million dollars. The luxury tax threshold for like almost a decade now has been above uh, for more than a decade now has been above one hundred ninety million, right? So. The fact that they're not even able to go to the point that the Yankees sneer at and, and that other teams ex- exceed without any concern, I mean, you know, that tells me that uh, Artie Moreno, the owner there, is willing to be good. But uh, excellence, greatness, uh, you know, he's, yeah. he's not willing to put the, the marginal dollars down to get there. And on top of that, they just haven't drafted very well. So uh, it's been it's been a team filled with Stars and Scrubs, and I'm sorry, but the Stars and Scrubs lineup uh, does not win in any sport, but especially in baseball. Follow him on Twitter, at Jeff Passan. Jeff, as always, we appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you so much. Sarah. I know. It's only 24 hours. <laughs> uh, that is, that is going to be the longest, most painful, and agonizing 24 hours of your life, and I'm... Very excited that you get to experience it. Uh, I'm gonna last you year, see the TikTok last year dance that's coming the, after it. Oh, when all the Cubs thanks, got Jeff. traded. That's going to be the only thing that topped it that one day when all the Cubs got traded. Oh, my God. All right. <laughs> we've st- again. <laughs> oh, all right. We're, we're going to move on now. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, we've started training camp at the NFL. What comes with that is interesting sound. So we'll get you caught up with the NFL on an edition of Good Take, Hot Take, next Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And we usually get to the football season and spend Mondays doing good take, hot take for the plethora of gas bags that are coming before us on radio and television talking about the weekend slate of games. We're getting ahead of it this year by taking some players and coaches who have spoken during the early days of camp. So we're going to do a little good take, hot take. Time to cut through the BS and rate the best takes of the day. Are they good takes? He would be the best quarterback in the history of New York to land here. Or hot takes? takes. Give the damn ball and let him decide. That's not the Green Bay way. Find out now on Spain and Fitz. Let's take the first half of a pair of takes that are related. This one's a little bit older. This is Devontae Adams, now a wide receiver for the Raiders, who, of course, left behind quarterback Aaron Rodgers and is now working with good friend Derek Carr. And what he said about Carr being a Hall of Famer? I mean, anytime you change quarterbacks from, you know, a Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer, you go, you know, Stabler to, to Rich Gannon or whoever you go to, it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment. And, you know, both are, are great players and, and great to be around. So I'm just enjoying that process and, and getting better myself, you know, trying to do as much as I can to, to help these guys go out there and win as many games as we can. Uh, Fitz, let's tackle that one first. Is that a good take or a hot take? The intended take is a good take, uh, as he <laughs> mentioned going from a great quarterback to a great quarterback is still a uh, is still an adjustment. I, I think the uh, the presumption, the way he said it, and he clarified it later, that Derek Carr is a Hall of Famer. Now that would be a hot take, at least now. But let's give Derek, you know, five years with uh, with Devontae Adams and see uh, where it goes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's definitely a hot take. Uh, and he acknowledges that by walking it back. 
Uh, on Sunday, after he was asked to expand about his comments, he said, I was waiting for this. Oh, God, I was waiting for this. <laughs> uh, and he said, uh, you know, not retracting his statement, but, you know, it, it's an adjustment. So kind of walked it back a little bit. Uh not walking anything back, as usual, Aaron Rodgers, who had a presser today and decided he would give a little callback to what he heard from his former wide receiver. I mean, it's always tough going from Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer. <laughs> uh, you know, from Devontae to, to Allen, it's going to be, uh, you know, a transition. But he's capable of a lot. And the way things have gone with the reps and the guys that we've had here and the targets that we've uh, we've you know doled out he hasn't had a ton of opportunities but he you know he's since his first day here he's he's turned heads friend of the show alan lazard there uh rogers talking about the transition from adams to lazard gets the joke in but the rest of what he said good take or hot take uh hot take and i think hot take here because he mentions there hasn't been a bunch of reps. So anytime you have the drop-off from one of the best, if not the best, wide receivers in the NFL to somebody that hasn't had a bunch of reps, I think that's a, that's going to be a, a massive drop-off for Aaron Rodgers. So uh, I expect that to be a difficulty for the Packers all year. I'm, I'm not as high on the Packers as a lot of people are, not because I don't think Aaron Rodgers is great, but because I think there's just too many bricks stacked against him right now. Yeah, Lazard was second on the Packers, 513 yards, eight touchdowns, third in catches. Obviously, you lose a ton without Adams, and you don't know how much of Lazard's haul came from the focus on Adams. You do remember, though, that the statistics of Aaron Rodgers without Adams last year were surprisingly very good. So uh, perhaps we put a little too much weight in who he's throwing to instead of the person throwing the ball. Maybe that's a lesson we learn more clearly with Adams gone this year for the Packers. It's Spain and Fitz. We're doing a little good take, hot take featuring players and coaches. Let's throw in a GM as well because Vikings GM Kwesi Adolfo Mensa was doing an interview and he was a little too honest. He was talking to USA Today's Jory Epstein and said this in talking about changing positions or potentially looking at the roster he had in front of him. I'll be frank. The one asset where you get nervous about not burning it down is quarterback. Cousins is a good quarterback, but we don't have Tom Brady. We don't have Pat Mahomes. The Super Bowl is more likely to win if you have that quarterback. It's very unlikely to have that quarterback. Whoops-a-doodle. He has since said that he's maybe going to be a little quieter on things, not speak as much publicly. Was that a good take or hot take? Well, the take itself is a good take. Spot on. <laughs> but what he just told fans everywhere is that their job's going to be tougher to win a Super Bowl because they didn't have the chutzpah to burn it all down at quarterback. Like, you just told everybody your quarterback's okay and your team's going to be okay because of it. That is not a great message for selling hype. Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't say it out loud. We're all thinking about it. We have been for years, but don't say it out loud. All right, uh, finally, let's get some uh, some Heather Dinich here. Lincoln Riley talking about his guy, Kyler Murray. Lincoln Riley, maybe nobody knows him better because he was his offensive coordinator. He was his quarterback coach. And he told me last night that he's coached two kinds of great players. And you guys will understand this. One player is the kind that needs to know every little detail to feel confident on the field. And the other is, tell me what I need to know. I'll get it done. And he's more of the latter. And he said, if I were to go play a game at any level today and give Kyler the playbook, I have absolutely zero doubt that he would be ready to play. Zero. 
Hmm. Good take or hot take or just interesting to you? I think it's a good take, but it also doesn't have to make the Cardinals comfortable. Like, I, I totally hear what he's saying there, that there are going to be quarterbacks that maybe need less information or process information differently. You better be comfortable with that. And if you're not comfortable with that, don't give them the contract. If you are comfortable with that, don't put a caveat in the contract requiring a certain level of homework. Like, you can't have your cake and eat it, too, on this one to me. Yeah, and I think even if you are a guy that doesn't need it, uh, why not give your team and the people paying you all that money the ben- benefit of the doubt that doing even more might help? Why not, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, last one quickly, Khalil Mack, favorite of both of us, uh, was asked this at camp today. How hungry, how hungry are you after stops with the Raiders and the Bears where, you know, the teams didn't win as much as maybe they could have? You say, how, how hungry? How hungry? You want to know how hungry I am? <laughs> I'll show you. Appreciate it. And he's out. Love it. The mic drop moment. That's a that's a good take. It's a good take. He's going to show you, and we're going to be very sad that he's no longer on our teams. That's for sure. I'm now with drink. the Chargers. Coming up, college football is changing. One of the power brokers in the new landscape is the Big Ten. We'll talk with someone on the ground at Big Ten Media Days. Coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Get a business insurance quote online in as little as six minutes. Visit ProgressiveCommercial.com. Now, it's been interesting. I was talking to a college football uh, reporter buddy uh, last week, and they said that usually by this time of the year, college football heads have spent the whole summer regurgitating what's our favorite week one matchup, what's going to look different here, what's going to be different there. And you start thinking about the storylines we usually just spend all summer obsessing over this summer. I think we might be the least prepared that we've ever been as a college football <laughs> culture because we've spent the whole time talking about expansion and media mm-hmm. days and uh, what it's going to mean for conferences. NIL. And, uh, it's like, right, everything, it's become very NBA-like. The stories are the soap operas, not the specifics of the game. That's just where we are. And we're dealing with it again this week as Big Ten media days are going on. We're joined by ESPN college football writer Chris Lowe to break down everything that's happening out there. Chris, appreciate your time. So with that being said, obviously expansion with the Big Ten is a big conversation. When when you're out there and you're hearing what everybody's talking about, what's the main focus there that everybody seems to have right now? Well, the same thing you guys just talked about. Expansion, uh, will there be a next wave? When will that wave come? When that wave does come? And I think invariably it will come. Who's it going to include? Uh, I don't think that the Big Ten is just dying to jump right back out there now and bring more teams aboard. I do think that if they do, uh, you're probably going to look out west again, maybe a Washington, maybe an Oregon. Uh, but I think it's, you know, much like the SEC, I think the SEC is pretty set right now, but certainly will reopen for business if someone comes to them. And I think that's where the Big Ten is now. Everybody, listen, the wild card in all this is Notre Dame. And I think Jack Swarwick, uh, their ADs made it pretty clear that they're going to sort of sit and wait, see how everything shakes out, what the landscape looks like, you know, a year or two. Uh, but I think that's the that's the school out there that uh, once they decide where they're going, I think the, the Big Ten makes the most sense. Uh, then that really may sort of start that domino effect. I don't know if you can tell this yet, but it feels like coaches in different. Uh, conferences are handling all of the change across the landscape differently, some better than others. 
Is it clear what's happening across the coaching landscape in the Big Ten? And do you think that will end up mattering at all when it comes to results on the field? You know what I think, Boyd? Some coaches are talking about it more than others. Uh, some have chosen, um, no matter what side of the fence you might be on, not to really talk about it. And some are very outspoken about it. And I think what's – in fact, I'll give you a great example. Paul Christ at Wisconsin today said, you know – it is what it is. We, we've got to adapt. We've got to change. Uh, you know what we as coaches think about it. I don't think a lot of people really care. You know, it, it's it's going to continue to change. It's changed more in the last two years in college football than it has over the last twenty five. Uh, and then you got a lot of other coaches out there who are outspoken. Listen, the, the whole NIL thing is, and I think probably sometimes we in the media, and I include myself. I haven't done a good enough job of explaining what it was supposed to be and what it's become. It was supposed to be, you know, a kid in college who's, you know, Bryce Young at Alabama, um, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba at Ohio State because of who they are and what they've done and what they've done on the field can use their name, image, and likeness to, to cash in. Uh, but what it's become, and again, this is what frustrates coaches, is it's become an all-out bidding war uh, for players in high school, sometimes they're 16 and 17 years old. And my colleague at ESPN, Tom Van Heron, put it best as we talked to coaches at the Big Ten media this week. Um, there are no cops out there to stop it. I mean, the, the NCAA is completely toothless. And so, you know, where does it end? And I think if you're a school that you see schools like Miami and Tennessee and Texas, USC, be really aggressive, you know, what's the common denominator? Those are all national uh, tradition-laden brands who haven't had as much success here recently on a national level. So they're sort of using this time, what do you want to call it, a loophole or this period where there are no cops out there, and they've been very, very aggressive uh, on the NIL front as far as inducing kids to come to campus. I guess, though, Chris, when you say that, all I keep thinking about is that the NCAA as a unit could have gotten ahead of all of this if they'd been forward-thinking, and they didn't. So now we're in this Wild West era and I hear the Big Ten talk about it, and I hear the SEC talk about it, and I hear the ACC talk about it, but nobody seems to be talking to each other. Is there any indication in Big Ten media days that the Big Ten is trying to actually work with the other conferences for an across-the-board solution? You know, we, we talked to Ryan Day about that today. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald from Northwestern had a lot of interesting things to say about that. That's what it's going to take, and you're a 1,000% right. You know, nobody feels sorry for the NCAA because everyone saw this coming. Nobody did anything about it. They kicked the can down the road. He was just going to go away, and it didn't. And then all of a sudden, NIL is here, and the NCAA, that committee says, well, you know, this will be just for kids when they get on campus. Oh, this will not be a recruiting inducement. Oh, give me a break. It was always going to be that. And now, to your question, the only way that, that any type of structure is in place is if everyone comes together and tries to work through this. You know, I think we're headed, and most of my most of the coaching peers, you know, I talked to Brian Day about this. I talked to Lincoln Riley. I talked to Davos Sweeney, Nick Saban. Just about everybody I talked to thinks what's going to happen inevitably is we're going to have a break in college football. Uh, where, and I don't know the number of teams, 35, 40, 50, uh, where they just break away from the NCAA, and they have their own rules regarding NIL. They have their own playoff, a commissioner, one voice. Uh, the, the governance is all the same for everybody. But the way that 
you're going to get there, you're going to have to have to your question, Jason, you're going to have to have all the leagues work together and create the same vision to get to that point. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Chris Lowe, ESPN college football writer. You can follow him at C ESPN. Any news about Notre Dame and, and what they might need to do in terms of their situation where it's been beneficial to be independent, but now maybe they're looking at some of these expanded conferences and feeling like they need to join. Well, sir, I think at some point they're going to join the Big Ten. I don't know that they're just ready to jump right in right now, uh, but I think they are in a pretty good position to sort of sit back and, and monitor the situation. I think they're going to probably cash in with a new deal at some point with NBC. Uh, they, they just have such a unique situation. Having been independent, uh, they're always right there when they have a good season uh, in, the, in the conversation for a playoff berth. Uh, it, I think 26, without question, the playoffs going to expand. It's just a matter of whether it goes to 8 or 12 or 16. Uh, and all those scenarios are good for the Irish, regardless of whether they're in a conference or not. But I do think they will, uh, as we see the, the landscape continue to change, will land in the conference. Yeah, I think the most fascinating thing about where we're headed is, and, and the Big Ten and the SEC are just, I mean, they're used to saying Bolt, and everybody else is like 50 yards behind them. Uh, they, they are so far out there ahead of everybody else that they can't wait to get back to the table to, de- to design this playoff because, again, if it's 8, 12, 16, I think there's a very good chance you're going to see the automatic qualifiers go by the wayside. And so if you're the Big Ten with SC and UCLA and you're the SEC with Texas and OU, uh, and you're looking at your chops thinking, okay, we're going to dominate that playoff as far as the number of teams that get in it, especially if there are no automatic qualifiers. We're talking to Chris Lowe. Chris, before we let you get out of here, i got to ask you one question about this year, <laughs> finally for this, se- this season for the Big Ten. Michigan, coming off of a big year, obviously makes the playoff. Ohio State has annual expectations every year. Who would you argue is under the most pressure in the Big Ten this season? You know, I think it's Ohio State. I wouldn't call it pressure, but I think this is probably going to be Ryan Day's best team. I mean, the guy's 24-1 against Big Ten opponents. Uh, he's entering his fourth season. They've won two Big Ten championships. They've been in the playoff twice. They won the Rose Bowl. But, you know, in talking to Ryan today and talking to C.J. Stroud, and they, those kids said it, you know, we haven't won anything. We haven't accomplished anything. Uh, our standards are the national championships. So I think when you look at that offense coming back and how explosive they're going to be, uh, Jim Knowles steps in as defensive coordinator. Uh, and talking to the offensive kids today at Ohio State, they said it without question – watching and going against that defense in the spring, they're better. Uh, it wasn't as one-sided with some of those scrimmages. Uh, I think this is Ryan Day's best chance to win a national championship, and, and certainly you talk to the folks there in Columbus, Ohio, and that's what they expect every year. You can follow him on Twitter at ESPN. Read him throughout the course of the year, ESPN college football writer Chris Lowe. Chris, as always, appreciate your time, man. Thanks for hanging out with us. You bet. Thanks for having me going to be a wild season because we're going to have to actually focus on this year in football at some point. <laughs> some the, of the football. <laughs> yes, it may happen. Who knows? In the meantime, we've been focusing on the acting chops of a good friend. I think they were Emmy-worthy, but I don't know. Sarah says that he may have been outacted in a commercial. Mm. We've asked your opinion on it. We'll explain it to you next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I really just threw Devin under the bus on that one. I feel good about that, though. 
I think he I think he deserved it, to be no, honest. No, he definitely had that one coming. There's no doubt. I am tempted to call it Silent R Stadium, though. I don't know why. It just has a better ring to it than Acrisure. It's just more fun to call it that. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We spent a little bit earlier in the show talking about Brittany Griner and some changes. Well, we now have another update on that. TJ Quinn continuing his excellent reporting. Uh, about a couple hours ago, recapped that there was a big day today for Brittany Griner as it was made public that the U.S. has made a proposal for her and fellow detained American Paul Whelan weeks ago, demanding release from Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov, changing the shift in their message, pushing back uh, on the Russians and not caring that the Russians are demanding that the U.S. stop criticizing their process, instead saying we are going to put this substantial proposal on the table and try to get their their release. Well, now about 45 minutes ago, TJ Quinn adding that sources say Brittany Griner's trial is expected to end next week with a verdict and sentencing expected on Friday. Subject to change, of course, and Fitz, we've of course seen that there have been uh, changes willy-nilly with this, but um, that would, I guess, give us the next step in this. As they've said all along, the court is uh, more of a sham procedure held up as if it's legitimate to cover up for the fact that she is very clearly a hostage at this point and a political prisoner. Um, uh, so what that verdict means is hard to say. But uh, a fellow American who was recently returned uh, after an exchange that uh, the U.S. facilitated seems to be optimistic that Paul and Brittany could return because of this proposal. So fingers crossed. Yeah, I think what you just stressed there is important, though. We have to remember that their judicial system is far different than ours, and I won't pretend to understand it. All I know is that, uh, as you alluded to earlier, I try to read smart people on this. And from the outset, people have said, hey, you know, the people covering it that are smart, like TJ, have said, hey, there's going to be a guilty plea here because that's the next step in how this procedure goes about. For example, we saw that happen. And we have to remember through every step of it, whether it's the plea, whether it's the trial process, whether it's the verdict, uh, we're applying some people when they read it, apply American judicial standards to Russian courts. It right. just doesn't work that way. So I just I, I want everybody to slow down just a second and read it. And the thing that I would continue to remind everybody is that the U.S. government has made it clear how they feel about this case. And at some point uh, that has to mean something to me. So, yeah, I would implore people to read that. To your point, 99 percent reported conviction rate in Russian criminal courts. So uh, be very surprising if they found her not guilty and sent her home. Uh, that is that is uh, not the way that this is going to go, and it does not mean that she is guilty or deserving of whatever punishment is laid down, but simply that it's a part of the continuing charade in this back and forth. All right, it's Spain and Fitz. Uh, a couple other things we wanted to update you on. Um, we posted the incredible, I mean, excellent production value on the Notre Dame video revealing the uniforms that the team will wear for their Vegas uh, Shamrock Series game at Allegiant, and it stars a number of names and, and faces that you recognize, Golik Sr. and Golik Jr. as one half of the kind of remake of The Hangover, and then Marcus Freeman and two Notre Dame players, uh, whose names currently escape me, uh, Marcus Freeman being the new head coach for the Notre Dame. We asked who won the video. Uh, great performances all. But Fitz, your direction uh, seems to be the way everybody else went. 36.4% going with Mike Golick Jr. 
Ooh, who gross. squeals loudly when the bag is thrown at him. Uh, 29.6% Golik Sr. One person okay. said he looked like he could rip some bleep up on the field right now. Uh, he mm. is in tremendous shape for an older man. Uh, he is, uh, looks like he could play right now. For Marcus still Freeman. Eats donuts, too, by the I way. Know, like, I, I know. He's got a good balance. He does a wild. lot of working out so that he can keep wild. eating those donuts. Uh, Marcus Freeman, 20.7%. And the other guys, 13.3%. Uh, listen. I think the best acting performance by a nose, by a tiny bit, was actually Golik Sr. I think he sold it the best. He was the most understated. The performance was the most believable. I saw through to the real Golik Sr., the least of everyone. But the win for me was Marcus Freeman because he was the second best actor and only by a tiny bit. And also the swag on that dude. That's your football coach? I exchanged some texts with Mike Golick Jr. about this man that cannot be read on air from either of us. I mean, that is an incredible person to trot out into recruiting compared to some of the dudes that have a fupa and look like they've been spending too much time on the donuts, not enough on the field. Like, Marcus Freeman is selling you on going to play for Notre Dame in this video. Yeah, by the way, Marcus Freeman going to join Keyshawn J. Will and Max 9.30 a.m. Eastern tomorrow. And I'm telling you, when that happens, just watch it on TV. You don't just want to listen to it. Like, <laughs> listen to it and watch it because you're right. Uh, one thing that really struck me when the video started, uh, as I was watching it, there was there's a moment in there uh, midway through where Marcus Freeman jokes, hey, uh, they call him coach early on, and then he jokes, I'm not your friend. Uh, I'm your coach. And I felt like they had to put that line in twice because otherwise you don't know. Like, he's yeah. just, like, he's so, guy? like. They have to call him coach because you're like, is he a player right now uh, in college? Is, or is he just a model? I don't know. And <laughs> I echoed your same sentiments to Mike. Is it Morris Chestnut? Uh, I mean, I, <laughs> I said to Mike, you, you, you can't tell me that that guy sitting in a, a, a living room talking to a family isn't going to resonate better than a lot of college football coaches uh-huh. that don't have that level of swaggy whatever it is. Like, it feels like he is the young, cool, hip, I want to hang out version of Mike Tomlin. And when he becomes Mike Tomlin, he's going to be cool at that, too. Like, there's just a cool factor to He's going to play well guys. with the moms. Oh, yeah. I'll just oh, leave it at God. that. Oh, it's going to play well. It's going to play well with the moms. Uh, Angry Bears fan Dadman pointed out, and I agree with him, that uh, Golik, he, he had his money on Golik for winning the, the video. And he said it's time he gets his own dad sitcom like Alex Karras and Webster or uh, a little bit more modern family mixed with Shameless. Uh, I would absolutely watch a sitcom with Golik as the dad. I, I want Golik and Golik Jr. to do a buddy cop sitcom where it's a dad and son that have been partnered together. I think this is a great idea, by the way. Netflix, call me. Uh, does this mean <laughs> I own the idea? I don't know. Uh, but you know, <laughs> you just you, gave it to the world. Just put the two of them together in in a buddy cop situation where Golik Senior plays the straight guy the entire time, and Golik Junior does the squealing the entire time, and, like, and messes things up, and the yeah. dad has to fix it. Yeah, no, it's sort way. of like a, a spin on the traditional sitcom where the husband is the doofy loser, and yeah. the wife constantly has to roll her eyes and be hot. It's like that, except for the son in this case, Golik Junior is the one constantly getting himself into trouble, and uh, Father, Father Mike has to fix it. I'm not sure that I inspired Mike Jr.'s uh, acting performance, but the squeal when the bag came to him felt very much like conversations we've had. So I feel like he really you do channeled squeal a me. lot. And also, yeah. you did get to work on your acting chops together and all those cheese it videos. Yeah, I feel like so. You maybe I, I feel did. like he maybe I inspired him. I don't know. Helped and the uh, 
The uh, the little clap move. I feel like Mike's done that to me during a show before when he needed me to bring him cheese. Yeah, that's a go-to. That's a go-to yeah. move for him. <laughs> it's Spain and Fitz. Uh, by the way, I forgot to mention, if you follow at Rose City Peach, there is a hilarious, I don't know how accurate or how meaningful, but hilarious chart of fantasy points for each game of his career. And the line in orange is when the Call of Duty game is released each year and the numbers go progressively down. Correlation, probably not, but funny all the same. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.